Please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. It's on page 911 in the Pew Bibles on the rack in front of you. Last year, if you may recall, we took all of January to talk through the vision and the mission of this church. And James preached all four of those sermons. And this year he asked me to do one sermon on this topic. And I think there's a good reminder for us in this. And the reminder is this, is that this vision, this mission of MPC is shared. It's ours. It doesn't belong to one man. It doesn't belong to one pastor. And for 70 years, this church has been about the vision and the mission that our Lord Jesus Christ gave to this church. And we are taking one Sunday this year to look at our vision and our mission. It's important for us to know what we aspire to be so that we can evaluate how we are doing. And there's no better place to look in Scripture than in Acts. Because in Acts, it is Jesus continuing his mission through the church, through the body of Christ. Acts begins with the ascension of Jesus Christ. After spending 40 days with his disciples, he tells them to go to Jerusalem and to wait for the Holy Spirit. They go to Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit comes 10 days after Jesus ascends, 50 days after Passover, the Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit descends upon them. And Peter preaches this amazing sermon, expounding Joel and expounding the Psalms and how all of these things are about Jesus. And you know the result. You see, there were 120 believers at this time in a city of about 60,000 to 100,000. And Peter preaches this sermon. And 3,000 were added to their number from Iran to Iraq, from North Africa to Rome. The gospel was heard in the city of Jerusalem. And these few verses tells us a little bit about this early church. So let's listen to Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. It says, And they, that's the 3,120, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Let's... You may be seated. Thank you, Alf. You may know that Gandhi was once asked why he never became a Christian. His answer was, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. And we know that many people today echo this same sentiment because, in a lot of ways, it's true. The church is full of sinners, and that's kind of the point. And if you hang around long enough, you'll know that we're worse than you even think. But if you hang around even longer, 
we hope that you will see that Jesus is greater than you ever imagined. There's truth to this statement, but in another sense, in another way, I long for the church. I long for this church. I long for all the churches in the world. I long for all the Christians in the world. I long for myself to become more like Christ every day in every way, making Him beautiful and glorious to all those around me, to my spouse, to my children, to my church family, to my friends, to my neighbors. I hope and I pray that 2015 is a year that we as McLean Presbyterian Church become more and more like our Savior. Now, most of you know that I was a pastor's kid, and my dad actually pastored two churches, sometimes three churches simultaneously. And that would mean that sometimes he would preach five times a week, and many times I was with him. I was literally raised in the church. And so I have seen the beauty of the church, and I know her failings. I have seen hypocrisy in the church when following Jesus comes second to following family. I have seen politics in church when leadership is chosen based on gray hair and bank accounts and not on character and gifting and calling. I have seen fighting in church when principles become preferences and the gossip in the church rules the day. I have seen pride when Christians care more about reputation and image than suffering. For a long time in my life, I did not understand the church. I went to church because my parents made me and I was the stereotypical pastor's kid. On one occasion, I even hid in the pulpit and grabbed my le- the leg of my dad mid-sermon. He was in for quite a surprise. My mom used to have to scratch my arm so she would hold on to me so that I wouldn't roll from the front pew to the back pew. And one time I was just curious how many hymnals you could fit in a pew rack before it broke. It's about 12. (laughs) Yet going to church became part of my DNA even though I didn't understand the vision and the mission of the church. So much so that when I went to college and I didn't have a car, I would still walk to church. Even after graduating from college, you know, at this time I understood the gospel. I was a believer, but I had not yet been converted to the church. You know, theologians and one commentator, one pastor, will talk about three conversions in the life of a Christian. The moment you are converted to Christ, the moment you are converted to the church, and the moment that you are converted to the world. I was not converted to the church actually until I was in seminary, even though I had been working for the church for five years. I did not understand the vision and the mission of the church. And I want you to see what I saw in Acts chapter 2, four things this morning. The first thing that I want you to see about the church is this, worship. Look in verse 42. Paul literally says, they devoted themselves to the Definite article in the Greek, the breaking of the bread, and the prayers. This is almost certainly a reference to liturgy, to celebrating communion, 
or the Lord's Supper. It was a formal prayer service that they were devoted to. And notice this, it occurred in the temple courts in verse 46, and they also broke bread in their homes. There was a formal and an informal aspect of their worship. And what are some of the words that are used to describe the worship in this early church? It says they were full of joy, of gladness. And it also tells us that their worship was full of reverence or awe. The early church had been confronted by the gospel of Jesus Christ, who he was, what he did, the life he lived, the death on the cross, and the resurrection in such a way that they gathered to celebrate this good news. At its core, that is what worship is, celebrating the good news of Jesus Christ. Got a question for you. I want you to think about this. I came up to you and asked you this question. How would you answer it? What is excellent worship? What would you say? Beautiful singing? Winsome Scottish preaching? (laughs) Skillful musicians? These are all good things. But it's not the primary point. Let me push a little further. When you go to lunch, a late lunch after this, when you go to lunch, how will you talk about this worship service? How will you evaluate it? Will you ask your children, spouse, or friends, what did you learn? Or will you ask them, were you bored? Or will you talk about if the church was friendly or not? Or will you talk about if your needs were met? These are all good things But primarily, this is not a classroom. It's not a therapy session. It's not a country club. It's not a family reunion. This is the place where the people of God come to celebrate and to make much of the triune God of the universe because He alone is worthy of our praise. Amen. Amen. I like it. You're the most alive service so far. And I got to tell you, we are thrilled to have Alf leading us in the interim in worship here. And if you haven't had a chance yet to read his philosophy of ministry that we posted on our website, you should do so. And this is what he says about worship. He says, maximize participation that if God were to walk into the room in the middle of a song, everyone would engage differently. My goal is to create an environment where that kind of deep engagement The intentional full person adoration of God as though he were present is the thing that happens frequently and naturally. Do you know what excellent worship is? Excellent worship is when all of us in this room are engaging with our hearts in the worship of God. Do you know what poor worship is? Poor worship is when few people are truly worshiping God in their hearts. Do we recognize today that the audience of worship is not you sitting in the pew? The audience of our worship is God. He is listening to our prayers. He hears our singing. And He looks into our hearts and sees the reaction to His Word. Friends, worship 
is seeing what God is worth and giving him what he is worth, full of joy, gladness, and awe. Through this ordinary activity of worship, we will become like our extraordinary Savior, Jesus. Second thing, learning or discipleship. Look at verse 42. It says they devoted themselves. It means there was a high commitment to learning, to knowledge, to truth, to growing in grace. The Holy Spirit basically opened up a school in Jerusalem and said, let's get deep in the word. Now, many of us assume that theology is on one side of the room and the Holy Spirit's on the other side of the room and they're not happy playing together. Nothing could be further from the truth. The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of the truth. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be full of the Word of God. The Holy Spirit does not run from theology, but the Holy Spirit comes through theology and doctrine. And we must be devoted to what? It says the apostles teaching. No, no matter what the movie Robert Duvall, the apostle, has to say about it, we don't have contemporary apostles in the church today. You can look at the beginning of Acts of what constitutes an apostle. But we do have the apostles teaching. Scripture, the Word of God. And for thousands of years, Jesus has given his church gifts. One of them are teachers of the Word of God that help us to understand the Bible that we can see the glorious gospel that is present within it. This past week, we were flying home, as many of you were probably coming back from vacation, and we were flying from New Orleans to Washington, D.C., and our flight got delayed in the airport. And so you can imagine the mood of everyone sitting at the gate while our flight was delayed after spending a week with family that you love, uh, opening presents with your kids, thinking about, I can't wait to get back to work on Monday. You can imagine everyone was just thrilled at the gate. To lighten the mood, the gate attendant decided to play Name That Tune with everyone there. So he pulled out his iPhone and over the intercom would play Name That Tune. He even offered $50 flight vouchers uh, for the winner. And I got to tell you, we were awful at it. None of us could name any of the songs that he played. And then he made this joke, he made this comment, he said, Oh, I realize in Washington, D.C. you don't listen to music, you just read books. There's some truth there. (laughs) We are an educated town full of advanced degrees. And we have given a lot of time and resources to studying various things, good things. But a question for you this morning. Are you devoted to the apostles' teaching? Are we committed to studying the Word of God? Do we love it? Do we meditate on it? Do we dig into it? You realize to get something out of Scripture, it takes work and it takes time. You cannot wake up and just say, I want to read the Bible this year, read it five minutes every morning, and expect to understand everything in it. This early church devoted themselves to the Word of God. They meditated on it. They dug into it. And as they did, through this ordinary book, they became extraordinary like their Savior, Jesus. Third thing that we see in this passage is fellowship or what we call care. Look again at verse 42. They devoted themselves to what? Fellowship. 
And how often did they do fellowship? It says in verse 47, day by day. On a continual, intentional basis, they were accountable to one another, loved one another, guided one another, supported one another, and cared for one another. They did not just see each other every other Sunday, but they were involved in each other's daily lives. And notice here as well, it wasn't just a spiritual relationship. It was an economic relationship. They recognized that their brothers and sisters in Christ had a claim not only on their time and heart, but also on their resources. And I want you to notice it was voluntary, informal, powerful sharing fueled by love, not rules. And it occurred in small groups where needs were known and met. You know the bad news, right? James and uh, Robert and I are not going to know every one of you and every one of your needs. But here's the good news. In small groups, in community, your needs can be known and met by the people around you who love you. You know, I don't think we really understand the true depth of fellowship. Listen to the words of Tertullian, one of the early church fathers. He says, It is our care for the helpless, our practice of loving kindness that brands us in the eyes of many of our opponents. Only look, they say, look how they love one another. Now listen to the description of fellowship. Look how they are prepared to die for one another. That's the definition of fellowship. It's so much more than staring at the back of someone's head for an hour on Sunday morning. It's being willing to die for that head in front of you. Don't turn around and look who's sitting behind you. (laughs) There is no shortcut for community. And we want to be a church with intentional relationships who erupt with compassion when there is genuine need. We have a word for it. We want to be tenacious. We're in this mess together and we are committed to doing whatever it takes to love one another more than we love ourselves and to love our neighbors more than they love their sin. We want to have the same heart that Jesus had. And we see that heart of Jesus in Luke chapter 15 when he had a flock of 100 sheep and one goes missing. And he won't let anything come in his way to go and rescue that sheep. We want to have that same determination to go after one another, loving one another, meeting one another's needs. But it doesn't stop there. Do you know what Jesus tells us to do? He tells us to love our neighbors as ourselves, even those who are outside the four walls of this church. We are called to love our neighbors, those who are different from us. We are called to love the Hindu, the Muslim, the gay, more than we love ourselves. Friends, when we do this ordinary act of fellowship, we will look like our extraordinary Jesus. Fourth thing that we see in this passage is missions or evangelism and mercy. Look at verse 47. It says there were conversions daily. Do we understand that missions is a way of life? It's not simply one month out of the year when we have a missions conference, a great thing, but it's so much more than that. 
The witness of the early church was continual, daily, relentless evangelism and sacrificial service. And you notice something else? It was church-centered. It says when they were saved, they were added to the number. Church membership. And then it says, one of the reasons that people were drawn to this church is because what they were doing was attractive to all the people in verse 47. Now that doesn't mean that every non-Christian loved the early church. There was plenty of persecution But it meant that the early church demonstrated the gospel in such a way that those far from Jesus were drawn to him. Friends, we are committed to missions because God is committed to missions. We've just seen at Christmas the incarnation when the eternal came into time and space and entered our world that he came to us. And friends, we can look back at the early church in Acts chapter 2 and and we can idealize it. But if we look at it and read the story, you know what you're going to see? You're going to see blemishes all over the early church. You're going to see heresies. You're going to see immorality. You're going to see pettiness. You're going to see persecution. And do you know what? Jesus was still committed to his church, his bride. Look at his first church, the apostles, the disciples. He loved them. Though what? Though Thomas doubted him, though Peter was fickle and a hothead, though Judas was a traitor and a thief, he laid down his life for the church. The church full of hypocrites, full of gossips, full of unkind people, full of me. Christ came and set his love on me. He loves the church. He loves his bride. And we are called to do the same. And not only are we called from out of the world into the church, but we were sent from the church back to the world. We are not just to be a Christian ghetto occupied with our own family, ignoring the plight of those outside. Missions, in its simplest definition, is bringing people to Jesus in whatever way possible. Rodney Stark wrote in The Rise of Christianity, a sociologist about how Christianity revitalized the Greco-Roman world. He said this about the Christians then. To cities filled with the homeless and the impoverished, Christianity offered charity as well as hope. To cities filled with newcomers and strangers, Christianity offered an immediate basis for attachments. To cities filled with orphans and widows, Christianity provided a new and expanded sense of family. To cities torn by violent ethnic strife, Christianity offered a new basis for social solidarity. And to cities faced with epidemics, fires, and earthquakes, Christianity offered effective nursing services. Friends, I've seen the beauty of the modern church as well as her failings. I've seen the modern church embody these things, worship, care, fellowship, discipleship and mission in ways that will make you weep. Friends, we don't leave the church to find God. We don't become more spiritual by getting less church. I love the church. I really do. The bride of Christ. And it's our prayer that through these ordinary means of worship, care, discipleship and missions that we will be a glimpse of heaven on earth 
as the gospel of Jesus Christ transforms us, our church, our city, our culture, and our world to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, impress upon us these things that like the early Christians, we too are sent into the world filled with your spirit and enriched by your grace and truth to continue your ministry. Father, we ask that in 2015 you would do extraordinary things through this ordinary church with ordinary pastors. We long for the day where we will be like our Savior Jesus in perfection. Until that day, sanctify us, sustain us, guard us, and grow us. In Jesus' name, amen.